The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Your host, J. Paul Newman of the Monthly District Attorney Show, will now take you on a journey to explore recent Rutherford County court cases, cold cases, and more. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts today are Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we also thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. We will begin our broadcast after you listen to these important messages. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street in downtown Murfreesboro. We are very blessed to have volunteers, to have friends that are decorators that come in and merchandise our store and do our window displays that help with linens, that help with jewelry, that help just make the store look really nice. Proceeds from sales benefit Greenhouse Ministries, a faith-based nonprofit serving the underserved here in Murfreesboro. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street, across from the tall NHC building. Well, we knew about Adam's place from the time it was first built. Margaret Ortobodian. I remember Dr. Carl Adams and Jenny May. So we were really familiar with this place. We had one friend who moved in immediately when it was built. We were in and out a lot, and we didn't consider any other place. We just knew this was it. <laughs> I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adam's place, 1927 Memorial. Memorial Boulevard. Call Adams Place today at 615-904-9111. Hi, this is Amanda at Animal City, inviting your family to come do business with my family. We have all the items needed to spoil your pet, toys, food, treats, and more. Whether you're a new pet parent or a very experienced one, you'll find the items and help you need here at Animal City. We are proud and thankful to be celebrating our 33rd year in the Murfreesboro community. That's Animal City. We're at 919 Northwest Broad Street, right here in Murfreesboro. Please check out our Facebook page. My name is J. Paul Newman. To begin the broadcast in our Call to Conviction segment, I will profile the 1995 murder of 30-year-old Sandra Coleman. My guest for that discussion of that case will be the lead detective, Todd Spearman. Todd Spearman has since retired from the Smyrna Police Department, but he still continues to serve our community as the assistant city manager for the town of Smyrna. From call to conviction... Time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. Before we begin this segment, we want to warn the listeners. The case we are about to present was a brutal murder with very disturbing facts. Listener discretion is advised. 
On January the 6th, 1995, the nude body of 30-year-old Sandra Coleman was discovered inside of her Colony Square apartment in Smyrna, Tennessee. There were several disturbing observations made by investigators that day. Sandra Coleman was pregnant. She had injuries that indicated she had been beaten. An electric cord had been wrapped around her neck. The cause of death was strangulation. On Sandra Coleman's upper body, the killer had used an eyebrow pencil and written the person's name, Victory, spelled V-I-C-K-T-O-R-Y. Detective Todd Spearman was assigned to investigate the case. During the investigation, vaginal, anal, and oral swabs were obtained from Sandra Coleman's body. Those swabs indicated that she had been sexually penetrated. Semen was obtained from the swabs. DNA testing of the swabs identified that the person who was the source of the semen was Lonnie Turner. When interviewed by the police the first time, Lonnie Turner admitted knowing Sandra Coleman, but insisted he had never had sexual relations with her. Another piece of important evidence was the writing across Sandra Coleman's body. Robert Muehlberger, a handwriting expert with the United States Postal Inspector's Office, told police that he had no doubt that Lonnie Turner was the person who wrote the name Victory on Sandra Coleman's body. Based on all the evidence, Detective Spearman arrests Lonnie Turner and charges him with the first-degree murder and aggravated rape of Sandra Coleman. The trial of the state of Tennessee versus Lonnie Turner began January 28, 1997. Lonnie Turner was represented by Murfreesboro attorney Scott Daniels. The prosecution team consisted of District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr. and Assistant District Attorneys John Price and J. Paul Newman. The trial was held in Murfreesboro, Tennessee and was presided over by the Honorable Judge James Clayton, Jr. Turner's defense was that someone else killed Sandra Coleman. The jury heard from dozens of witnesses. After nine days of trial, on February the 6, 1997, the jury returned with its verdict. The jury found Lonnie Turner guilty of first-degree murder and guilty of aggravated rape. Judge Clayton accepted the jury's verdict. Lonnie Turner was sentenced to life in prison for the first-degree murder conviction. And Judge Clayton added an additional 22 years on top of Turner's life sentence for the aggravated rape of Sandra Coleman. Lonnie Turner was 25 years old when he was arrested. Under this sentence, Lonnie Turner will have to serve 69 years in prison before he is eligible for parole. At that time, Lonnie Turner would be 94 years old. It is my honor to have with us today in the WGNS studios Captain Todd Spearman of the Smyrna Police Department. Captain Spearman was one of a team of law enforcement officers who investigated this case. Captain Spearman, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, you General. It's an honor. Captain Spearman, I know that you've investigated a great number of brutal and gruesome murders. And I guess my first question will be, how does it affect you being exposed to not only so many gruesome facts, but so much sadness? How do you deal with that on a day-to-day basis? A lot of times you compartmentalize. Uh, you're there for the victim. I have a saying. It's called faith, family, and friends, and your friends being your coworkers as well. You have to have some debriefing. You have to be able to talk to different people, but it's a job, and you got to make sure that you're doing it for the victim. 
In this case, Sandra Coleman's clothing was scattered in the apartment. Buttons had been torn away from the clothes and were found on the floor. What did that evidence indicate to you? There was some type of struggle. There was a uh, quite a bit of struggle, actually. There was some furniture that was also broken, and part of the living room area was in disarray. So the victim in this case evidently put up a fight. Captain Spearman, as you know, in all of these cases, it's always a team effort. Tell us some of the members of law enforcement who were members of that team that investigated this murder. Yes, sir. You've mentioned the postal inspectors, which was very beneficial to us and assisted us tremendously, especially with the handwriting. But there was also agents from TBI who came in and did the crime scene. Numerous detectives, the whole detective division was there that day doing the crime scene. Sheriff's Department, other agencies, just with Murfreesboro detectives helped us with some of the information. So it was just a, a huge amount of people. Tell us how important the DNA match was, how strong was the match, and how it impacted on the statement that Lonnie Turner first gave you when he was interviewed. One of the ways that we located Mr. Turner was he was actually an employee that was cleaning up the post offices. And so the postal inspector had actually contacted us for background information for a Lonnie Turner. Well, seeing that people knew that he was a suspect in our case, they sent him to me. And so the two sides met. He came to get information about us. The postal inspector is one that actually volunteered. They had fringing writing people that could do this for us. What was interesting about this case was this was the first case that he had ever had that was not a paper writing. You have to remember, we had to send him samplers where Mr. Turner had written this information on somebody's skin. So this was a first for them as well. Obviously, the name Victory was an important piece of evidence in this case. Tell us whether or not Victory was someone who was known to Mr. Lonnie Turner. Yes, sir. He was one of Mr. Turner's children's grandfather. And they had earlier in the year basically had a disagreement, and he was quite angry at him. At first, uh, Mr. Turner denied knowing Miss Coleman. And as his story started breaking down, he eventually said, well, I knew her. The word on the street is that he had heard that she had been attacked and sexually assaulted. And so he started changing his story around to try to keep us off his trail, so to speak. But when we were able to positively match the DNA, his story started crumbling and crumbled quite quickly. How important the writing of the name Victory on Sandra Coleman's body was in bringing Lonnie Turner to justice. And how did you use the name being misspelled in your investigation? On our initial interview with Mr. Turner, we were at the facility that he was located at, and we had asked him who did he live with. And he starts giving us names of people that he lived with. And one of the persons that he had lived with was named Victory. So we quickly grab a sheet of paper and, hey, would you do us a favor and write down the names of all these people? When he wrote down the names of the people that he lived with, he spelled the name Victory identical to what was misspelled on the body. And as I understand it, the spelling on the body was V-I-C-K-T-O-R-Y. Is that correct? Yes, sir. The V-I-C-K-O-R-Y was the original. And then a small T had been placed between the K and the O. And when he had wrote the name in the subsequent interview, he had did it exactly the same, V-I-C-K-O-R-Y with a small t above the, between the K and the O. Through your investigation, were you able to establish why Sandra Coleman was killed? Yes, sir. He attacked her, sexually assaulted her, and he was killing her to get rid of the witness to that crime. I know an inmate at the prison also came forward and uh, was available at the trial, and he told what Lonnie Turner had told him. Share that information with the listeners. Yes, sir. This was an individual that I had warrants on that we had actually extradited from Florida. And very odd story, but on the way back from Florida, he wanted a Big Mac. So while he was in the holding cell at the courtroom, Mr. Turner actually made this disclosure and gave details about the case. 
So the gentleman who we had helped, gave him a hamburger on the way back, saw me and, and gave me that information and wanted to tell us what was said in the holding cells. As far as the disclosure, did the jailhouse informant, did he tell you what Mr. Turner had said to him? Did he say whether Mr. Turner admitted to the killing or not? Yes, sir. The, Mr. Turner admitted that he had choked the lady and killed the lady because she wouldn't stop screaming when he was attacking her. Also, I know that you worked very closely with our office in preparing the case for trial. What is the benefit of being actively involved with the DA in the trial preparation of a case? In fact, this is one of the cases that kind of prompted me to go to law school. By spending time with the DA's office, you learn that there is pleadings and there is hearings that we really never see as a police officer that are very beneficial to your case. If you stay in tune to the case and as the case processes through the court, you learn how to actually investigate a case. There are certain motions that are filed and there are certain court proceedings that you have that a lot of times the officers are unaware of that are very beneficial in your investigation process. Captain Spearman, we want to congratulate you and the other members of the Smyrna Police Department for bringing this case to justice. This case has special significance to me, for it is one of three criminal cases that had a triangle of crimes that were tied together by a common thread. That common thread was Moses Jewel Bess. In 2015, I was part of the prosecution team of a murder case that had remained unsolved for over 25 years. Initially in 1986, the death of Deborah Bess was ruled a suicide. And following the death of Deborah Bess, who was married to Moses Bess, Moses started his new life with his girlfriend, Sandra Coleman. Then, as you have already heard, in 1995, Sandra Coleman was murdered. Testifying in court against Sandra Coleman's killer was Moses Bess. And in February of 1997, a Rutherford County jury convicted Lonnie Turner of the first-degree murder and aggravated rape of Sandra Coleman. Then, in 2012, Rutherford County cold case detectives Bill Sharp and Dan Goodwin reopened the Deborah Bess case. From their investigation, Moses Bess was arrested and charged with the murder of Deborah Bess. The state's theory of the case was that Moses Bess had shot and killed his wife so that he could be with Sandra Coleman. In 2015, a Rutherford County jury convicted Moses Jewel Bess for the murder of Deborah Bess. One of the photographs that I introduced at trial was a photograph of the Moses Bess family. The photograph showed Deborah Bess, who was pregnant at the time the photograph was taken. After the photograph had been taken, Deborah Bess had delivered her baby, and this was several months before her death. And the baby was named Jessica Bess. When Jessica grew up, she married, and her name became Jessica Bess Campos. To complete this triangle of tragedies, I must now take you to June the 24th, 2016. On that date, Garyon Simmons had stolen a vehicle from a Bedford County funeral home. 
and at speeds well in excess of 100 miles per hour, Simmons led police on a long and dangerous chase. The chase escalated when it entered a busy Interstate 24 and dangerously continued onto a highly congested Church Street in the heart of Murfreesboro. Sadly, the chase ended when Simmons crashed his stolen vehicle into a vehicle driven by 28-year-old Jessica Bess Campos. Jessica was in the car with her infant child, and thankfully the child was not seriously injured. But Jessica lost her life that day, and I prosecuted Garion Simmons. In June of 2019, Simmons pled guilty to vehicular homicide, and he received a 25-year sentence for causing the death of Jessica Bess Campos. Three cases with a common thread. Three men whose evil acts caused death. Three women who lost their lives to violence. A true triangle of tragedy. Our legal system may be able to balance the scales of justice inside the courtroom, but it can never balance the scales of justice inside the hearts of those who loved Sandra Coleman, Deborah Bess, and Jessica Bess Campos. In the tragedy of their untimely deaths, their three lives have touched mine. May they rest in peace. This is J. Paul Newman. We are broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Did you know that you can see power outages in real time by visiting mte.com? We also recommend that you download our mobile app. The free app gives you better control of your power consumption and provides the ability to see exactly how much electricity you use and how to reduce that usage and save money. Search for the MTE app in Google Play or in the iTunes store today. MTE Hi, this is providing Peter services Join to make life better since 1936. So many people buy so many different things. You know, I go out to eat and I like eating steak where my wife will end up getting her salmon. Our salmon is cut fresh, so she loves her salmon. It's one of those places that you can go, you can get pastas or chicken, you know, the kids love it. Get what you want at Demas's Restaurant and not be limited just to one or two items. Join our family at Demas's Restaurant, 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. I'm on Dead Men's Bend at midnight when my gas light pops on. I see a gas station ahead. Just my luck. Or is it? I walk in. The attendant lifts a bony finger towards me and croaks, You want a Halloween jumbo bucks? I whisper it terrified. No. And as I leave, he asks the lady behind me. She says, okay. And then she wants $75,000. Scare up some cash with the Halloween Jumbo Bucks instant game. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing hair-raising fun. Please play responsibly. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. This is Inside the Courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the Courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your District Attorney General, Jennings Jones, and today I will be your tour guide through this episode of Inside the Courts. 
We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On March 16th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Swanson Lane in response to a 911 call. Upon arrival, officers located the body of Thetsaphone Cesarino. Mrs. Cesarino had been beaten to death in her garage and her throat had been cut. The victim's husband, Fokham Cesarino, was unaccounted for and was later found covered in blood. After conducting an interview of Mr. Cesarino, he was charged with first-degree murder. Detective Richard Presley with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator. Mr. Cesarino is represented by the Office of the District Public Defender and is scheduled to appear in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County on November 1st of this year. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. On February 15th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call of shots fired at an apartment complex on Puckett Creek Crossing. On arrival, officers discovered the body of Miss Rebecca Stockton on the floor of her apartment. Miss Stockton had been shot multiple times. Detective Julie Cox has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Mrs. Stockton's live-in boyfriend, Salim Hamilton, was missing. A manhunt for Mr. Hamilton was ordered, and he was later located in Corbin, Kentucky. Mr. Hamilton was found to be in possession of the rental car of Miss Stockton and a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Miss Stockton was shot and killed by a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Mr. Hamilton was charged with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon and remains in the custody of Corbin County, Kentucky. In Tennessee, Mr. Hamilton has been charged with first-degree murder by the Murfreesboro Police Department and awaits extradition. On February 13th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call in reference to a stabbing at a residence on Ransom Drive. Upon entry, officers discovered the body of Mr. Philip Maddox on the floor of his bedroom. Mr. Maddox had been stabbed multiple times. Witnesses on scene advised that Mr. Maddox's roommate, Malik Smith, admitted to stabbing Mr. Maddox. Officers located Mr. Smith, and Mr. Smith confirmed the witness's claim that he had stabbed the victim. Detective David Miller of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator. After a search of the residence, collection of evidence, and interviewing all witnesses, Mr. Smith was charged with first-degree murder. On May 31st of this year, a preliminary hearing was held, and the court found probable cause to bind the matter over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. Mr. Smith is represented by counsel, Mr. John Slager, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On August 30th of last year, officers with the Smyrna Police Department responded to a shooting at a gas station on Sam Ridley Parkway. Mr. Nicholas Patterson had been shot during the course of an attempted robbery, and he later died as a result of his injuries. Surveillance video showed an armed subject enter the store, point his weapon at Mr. Patterson, fire at least one round into the ceiling, and then shoot Mr. Patterson twice before running out of the store. Detective Steve Hanna with the Smyrna Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator. As a result of two other robberies, one in Brentwood and one in Nashville, Mr. Keanthony Williams was identified as a suspect. 
Upon execution of a search warrant, Mr. Williams was taken into custody and found to be in possession of a firearm. Mr. Williams was interviewed by law enforcement and, at the conclusion of his interview, Mr. Williams was charged with first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, and possession of a weapon by a convicted felon. A preliminary hearing was held on September 18th of this year, and upon hearing testimony from witnesses, the case was bound over for presentation to a Rutherford County grand jury. Mr. Williams is represented by counsel Mr. Ben Wetzel. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On September 27th of 2021, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Bivens Hill Road in reference to a shooting. Once on scene, deputies located Miss Tony Odom, the victim of a gunshot wound. Miss Odom died from her injuries. Detective Sergeant Ty Downing has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. After interviewing witnesses and reviewing physical evidence at the scene, Mr. Irwin Odom, the victim's husband, was identified as a suspect. At the conclusion of the investigation, Mr. Odom was charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Odom is represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Mr. Josh Crane. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. Mr. Odom awaits his next court date on November 3rd of this year. On June 14th of 2021, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a reported rape of a child. Detective Tiffany Host was assigned as the lead investigator. Upon interviews of the juvenile victim and the suspect, Mr. Eric Branch, along with the collection of evidence, Mr. Branch was indicted by a Rutherford County grand jury in February of this year on four counts of aggravated sexual battery, two counts of rape of a child, and one count of possession of a weapon by a convicted felon. Mr. Branch was represented by counsel Ms. Katie Ladefogen, and the state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Sharon Reddick. On March 8th of this year, a jury found Mr. Branch guilty on all counts. On June 20th of this year, Circuit Court Judge Jimmy Turner sentenced Mr. Branch to a total of 72 years to serve in the custody of the Tennessee Department of Corrections. On October 19th of 2019, officers with the Laverne Police Department investigated a reported sexual assault against a juvenile. Detective Steve Krotz was assigned as the lead investigator. Through efforts with multiple other officers and agencies, the investigation resulted in charges of sexual assault being brought against a Mr. Luis Mendoza Sanchez. On August of 2021, a Rutherford County grand jury indicted Mr. Mendoza Sanchez for rape of a child, four counts of sexual battery, and one count of aggravated assault. Mr. Mendoza Sanchez was represented by counsel Mr. David Clark, and the state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Sharon Reddick. On April 19th of this year, a Rutherford County jury found Mr. Mendoza Sanchez guilty of rape of a child, four counts of sexual battery, and assault. On July 14th of this year, Circuit Court Judge Jimmy Turner sentenced Mr. Mendoza Sanchez to a total of 59 years to serve in the custody of the Tennessee Department of Corrections. On February 13th of last year, officers with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office received a report that a 14-year-old minor was being sexually assaulted by their grandfather. Detective Stephen Lewis was assigned to investigate. The victim's 16-year-old sibling learned of the abuse and used a cell phone to record the grandfather's attack. 
Upon conclusion of all interviews, collection of physical evidence, and reviewing cell phone recordings, the matter was presented to a Rutherford County grand jury. In March of 2022, Mr. Pilkington was indicted for two counts of sexual battery by an authority figure, two counts of rape. Mr. Pilkington was represented by counsel, Mr. Kirk Catron, and the state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Hugh Ammerman. On June 22nd of this year, Mr. Pilkington pled guilty to one count of sexual battery by an authority figure and one count of rape. The defendant was sentenced to serve 16 years to be served in the custody of the Tennessee Department of Corrections. On March 3rd of last year, Deputy Cody O'Donnell with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department conducted a traffic stop on a vehicle for an expired tag. The deputy made contact with the driver, Mr. David Lee McCoy. As a result of observing what appeared to be drug paraphernalia, the deputy performed a canine sweep of the vehicle. The canine alerted to the presence of the odor of narcotics, and a search was then conducted. The search discovered 15 and a half pounds of crystal methamphetamine that had been hidden inside the vehicle. Mr. McCoy was arrested and charged with possession of over 300 grams of a substance containing methamphetamine with the intent to sell or distribute. In June of last year, a Rutherford County grand jury indicted Mr. McCoy for that offense. Mr. McCoy was represented by Mr. Scott Saul, while the state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Brent Pierce. On August 7th of this year, Mr. McCoy went to trial before a Rutherford County jury. However, by the second day of the trial, Mr. McCoy had fled the court. The trial proceeded without the presence of Mr. McCoy, and the jury found Mr. McCoy to be guilty on all counts. A warrant for Mr. McCoy was issued for his arrest by the court. On September the 15th, Mr. McCoy was apprehended in Louisville, Kentucky, and he now awaits sentencing to be held later this year. On July 16th of last year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a home invasion. Officers made contact with the homeowner and were provided with information regarding items taken from the home. One item was a MacBook that the owner was able to track by GPS coordinate. Officers went to the location of the ping and discovered two large duffel bags at the feet of a Mr. Joseph Michael Thomas. Mr. Thomas denied knowledge or ownership of the bags. However, he admitted to ownership of a plastic bag that contained items verified to have come from the victim's home. The two bags also contained stolen property from the homeowner. Upon being interviewed by law enforcement, Mr. Thomas admitted to the aggravated burglary. Mr. Thomas was arrested and charged with aggravated burglary, theft of property, and vandalism. He was indicted by a Rutherford County grand jury in October of last year, and on August the 29th of this year, Mr. Thomas entered a plea of guilty to aggravated burglary and received a 10-year sentence to serve in TDOC custody. Mr. Thomas was represented by counsel Mr. Caleb McCain, while the state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Tammy Reddick. On July 22nd of last year, the mother of a seven-year-old child reported that the child was being sexually assaulted by the child's 79-year-old great-grandfather, Bobby Spurgeon. After learning that the mother had gone to the police, Mr. Spurgeon attempted to suicide by shooting himself in the face. Mr. Spurgeon survived his injuries with permanent disfigurement. 
Detective Emily Speed with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. After interviewing Mr. Spurgeon by use of a dry erase board, Mr. Spurgeon confessed to multiple instances of sexual assault against the child. Mr. Spurgeon was indicted by a Rutherford County grand jury for two counts of aggravated sexual battery and four counts of aggravated rape of a child. On July 6th of this year, Mr. Spurgeon pled guilty to two counts of aggravated sexual assault and received a total sentence of 20 years to serve in TDOC custody. Mr. Spurgeon was represented by counsel Katie Ladefogen, and the state was represented by Assistant District Attorney Sharon Reddick. On July 20th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting resulting in two persons being shot, Mr. Vanchez Brown and Miss Tammy Childress. Both Mr. Brown and Miss Childress survived their injuries. Mr. Antonia Beach was identified as the person responsible for the shooting. In January of 2022, Mr. Beach was indicted by a Rutherford County grand jury for attempted first-degree murder, attempted second-degree murder, two counts of aggravated assault, reckless endangerment with a deadly weapon, possession of a weapon by a convicted felon, and employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Beach was represented by counsel Mr. Michael Offinger, while the state was represented by Assistant District Attorneys Sarah Davis and Ashley Chisholm Hall. A jury trial began on July 24th of this year. On the third day of trial, Mr. Beach did not appear in court. The trial proceeded without Mr. Beach, however, a few hours after the trial had resumed, officials were notified by Metro Nashville law enforcement that Mr. Beach had gone to the home of his grandmother and shot himself in front of her ring doorbell camera. Mr. Beach died from his injuries. On June 27th of 2018, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Mr. Biddle died from his injuries. Officers were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and was attempting to get into vehicles at the Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Sergeant Tommy Massey with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator. Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence on the scene was collected. Upon conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Mustafa went to a residence on Old Las Casas with the intent to commit a robbery. Mr. Biddle was a guest at that residence. Mustafa entered the residence and attempted to rob Mr. Biddle. During the course of the attempted robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. He was, however, able to return fire, and Mr. Mustafa sustained a gunshot wound as a result. Mr. Mustafa was charged with first-degree felony murder, attempted aggravated robbery, robbery while acting in concert with two or more persons, and conspiracy to commit aggravated robbery. Mr. Mustafa was represented by counsel Mr. Thomas Parkerson. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Ashley Chisholm Hall. The trial was held between August the 14th and August the 22nd of this year, and a jury of Mr. Mustafa's peers found him guilty as charged. Circuit Court Judge Barry Tidwell sentenced Mr. Mustafa to life in prison for first-degree murder. A sentencing hearing will be held on November the 27th of this year for the remaining charges. 
A trial is scheduled to begin on January 22nd of next year for Demetrius Ford and Marquise Perkins. The charges they face are first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, five counts of aggravated assault, employment of a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, felon in possession of a firearm, evading arrest with an automobile, attempted carjacking, vandalism, theft of property, and reckless endangerment with a deadly weapon. Mr. Ford is represented by counsel Mr. Jeff Cherry, and Mr. Perkins is represented by Mr. Will Fraley. I will be representing the state in this matter, assisted by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. A trial is scheduled to begin on February 20th of next year on Mr. Quion Tucker. Mr. Tucker faces charges of two counts of first-degree murder, especially aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, employment of a weapon during a dangerous felony, tampering with evidence, and possession of marijuana. Mr. Tucker is represented by Mr. Luke Evans, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Tammy Reddick. A trial is scheduled to begin on April 1st of next year on Mr. Chris Robinson and Mr. Chris White. The allegations are first-degree murder, aggravated burglary, especially aggravated robbery, especially aggravated kidnapping, employment of a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony, felon in possession of a weapon, and tampering with evidence. Mr. White is represented by counsel Mr. Paul Bruno, while Mr. Paul, pardon me, Mr. Robinson is represented by counsel Mr. Rob McKinney and Brian Lewis. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Ashley Chisholm Hall. A trial is scheduled to begin on May 13th and run through the 17th of 2024 on Carmen de la Cruz for second-degree murder. Mr. Cruz is represented by counsel Mr. Brennan Foy, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. A trial is scheduled to begin on June 17th of this coming year on Yo Simsir Fenfon for allegations of first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, possession of a weapon by a convicted felon, and tampering with evidence. Mr. Fomfan is represented by counsel Mr. Jack Mitchell, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorneys Trevor Lynch and Haley Ranieri. That will conclude today's look inside the courts. Talk Radio WGNS, putting the power of your free speech into action on air and online at WGNSRadio.com. There are many reasons people select Adam's Place. We went to see seven different places. And he asked his kids, Okay, where do you think we should go? And the kids said, Adam's Place. Why? The people looked active and they saw the pool, the only place that had a pool, and they had water aerobics. Turned out to be something I really, really enjoy. I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place, 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. Call Adams Place today, 615-904-9111. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Good morning, listeners. Today I'd like to take this opportunity to talk to you about Tennessee's Confrontation Clause. I want to start by saying this is just an overview of the Confrontation Clause, and to fully discuss the entirety of the laws would require a great deal of time more time than I have today. Having said that, the Tennessee Constitution provides that in all criminal prosecutions, the accused has the right to see the witnesses face-to-face. 
That's the Tennessee Constitution, Article 1, Section 9. Tennessee's Constitution has been held to impose a higher right than that in the federal Constitution, specifically referring to the face-to-face language. However, our courts have also concluded that our courts will apply the same analysis used to evaluate evaluate claims based on the Confrontation Clause as used in that of the Sixth Amendment to the United States Constitution, and the same standards will be used to govern both. As a general rule, the Confrontation Clause is relied upon as a bar to the admission of an out-of-court statement. Both the federal court system and the state's court systems have rules of evidence that allow for the introduction of -of out-of-court statements, called hearsay. These exceptions are called hearsay exceptions. In order to trigger the Confrontation Clause, the hearsay must be testimonial statements. So what qualifies as testimonial statements? Well, that depends on the primary purpose of the statement. The purpose of testimonial statements is to establish or prove past events potentially relevant to later criminal prosecution and made when there is no ongoing emergency. This is nothing new or controversial. But what's happening now? Specifically, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, is that the possibilities of the use of video and audio testimony in lieu of live, in-court, in-person testimony. The Court of Criminal Appeals recently addressed this issue on September 25th of this year. In that case, a witness was verified to be positive for both COVID and the flu. As a result, the witness could not appear in the courtroom. The trial court allowed the witness to testify via Zoom. The courtroom system allowed the defendant and the jury to see and hear the witness testify. The defendant objected to this process under the confrontation clauses of both Tennessee and the United States Constitution. The Court of Criminal Appeals relied on federal court rulings that the defendant's right to confront accusatory witnesses may be satisfied absent a physical face-to-face confrontation at trial only where denial of such confrontation is necessary to further an important public policy and only where the reliability of the testimony is otherwise assured. In considering previous Supreme Court rulings, the court held that the practice employed by the trial court preserved the essence of effective confrontation and thus ensured the reliability of the witness. Two parts must be established. A. Necessity and B. Reliability. Effective June 8 of this year, our Supreme Court adopted Tennessee Supreme Court Rule 55, which states that the use of teleconferencing, video conferencing, or other technology to conduct court proceedings or other court businesses remotely is permissible at the discretion of the trial or appellate court. So where does that leave us today? Can witnesses now testify via Zoom or other audio-video technology? The answer is unclear. You see, it will be a determination to be made on a case-by-case basis, So every trial court faced with this decision will have to apply the court's analysis individually to the facts before the court. Each and every trial judge will have to determine if the two prongs have been satisfied. A. Is the remote appearance necessary? It has to be necessary, not convenient, not preferable, or not most cost-effective. And then the judge will have to find and ensure that the testimony is reliable. And reliability requires that the testimony is subject to rigorous adversarial testing in a manner functionally equivalent to the equivalent and equivalent to live in-person testimony. 
While true equivalence can never exist between in-person and video testimony due to many subtle effects face-to-face -face confrontation have on the adversarial criminal proceeding, the trial court can find that other elements of confrontation can substitute the right to face-to-face -face confrontation and preserve the essence of effective confrontation. These elements are the swearing in of the witness, the ability to cross-examine, and the jury's ability to observe the witness's demeanor. And this concludes our episode of What's the Law? As we end our program today, we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. We leave now by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This is J. Paul Newman bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.